Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about replacing the income from a pension if you leave a job early and an interview with Matt Sorensen where we address self-directed IRAs. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. Ross, it's great to see you as well. This is an exciting week for us. We're adding a new member to our Craftwork Capital team, who we're going to introduce hopefully next week on the show. But uh, this is a big moment for us in our professional journey as, as a fairly new firm. It is. And this week, he made a guest appearance on another podcast we enjoy a lot, Motley Fool Answers. So if you're looking for a sneak peek of the person you'll be hearing, perhaps occasionally on this po- podcast, uh, go check that feed out and take a listen. Absolutely. And a big shout out to uh, Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp, who do that show for The Motley Fool. So uh, fr- friends and, and great folks over there. All right. So as we get into our show today, we've got an interview coming up in just a moment. But uh, I've had a question that has been in our inbox for a little while that I haven't been able to get to in some previous shows. So I wanted to go ahead and answer this. Uh, this came in from Eric. Eric received a Check Your Balances mug, by the way, for sending in a question. So if you've got questions for us, things you want us to cover in our show, we've still got some great coffee mugs to send out. Check your balances at Outlook.com if you'd like to ask something, and we'd be happy to send one your direction uh, in appreciation of both your listenership and uh, contributing some content to the show. So love that. Uh, But Eric asks, my wife has been building towards a DB pension plan. That's a defined benefit pension plan and is considering leaving, she isn't vested yet, and I want to understand what she'd need to contribute this year and in the coming years to replace the pension income stream. Dan, how would you approach that? So a lot of these questions ultimately end up being time value of money questions. So if we are looking to replace an annuity income stream, we can start by looking at what that stream of income would be. So how much benefit were you expecting to get year after year through the annuity? and then work your way backwards. So if we're assuming a 4% safe withdrawal rate, you would see what that income amount was and then see what is that 4% of. So multiply that income by 25 and you get the lump sum amount you should be working towards. And then again, working backwards, figure out how much you have to contribute each year to build up to that lump sum however many years in the future we're looking. Uh, So that's how I would address it. Yeah, so we talked uh, in other shows both about the rule of 72, which is kind of how we back into how often your money's going to double or how quickly your money's going to double. And we talk a lot about the safe withdrawal rate, which typically, you know, four to 5%, depending on how much inflation you're going to count into it, is a number that we find pretty healthy. And through those two methods, we can back in and out of those numbers pretty quickly. So if you were expecting the defined benefit plan to provide $5,000 a year at retirement, well, using Dan's math, if we're going to multiply that five by 25, we would expect to need about $125,000 in replacement funds to assume that we're going to just make that up. 
Now getting to that 125,000, now it's how much do we have to save routinely between now and retirement to get to that number? And that's going to be a little bit of a factor of how much dry powder you're putting in, right? What is the savings rate that you're using to try and achieve that? And it's also going to be, what do you receive in returns? Now, we have less predictive power about returns. We typically assume the stock market's going to give us 7 to 10% annually because historically that's the range that it's been in, but that's over very long periods of time. It tends to be really erratic. So I, I 100% agree. That's how I would back into the number as well. Great. Yes. So it's an easy exercise. Multiply the the income amount by 25, work backwards, control what you can. So the biggest component is what you put in each year. And if you're patient and sitting on your hands through the market volatility, you should be right on track to getting to where you want to go. Absolutely. So Dan, we've got a great interview today. Uh, You reached out in this case to an expert in self-directed IRAs. I did. So self-directed IRAs are a very interesting topic. They've been on my radar for a long time. And it's something that a lot of people, even if they know about, haven't done a lot about. So I was excited to chat with Matt Sorensen about how people can use their IRAs to invest in things beyond just traditional stocks and bonds and publicly traded securities. Let's take you over to that interview now. So this week on Check Your Balances, we welcome Matt Sorensen. He is an attorney, CEO, and author. He wrote the book, The Self-Directed IRA Handbook, and is also the CEO of Directed IRA. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. I always love coming to talk about self-directed IRAs. So I hope you have questions about that, because if you want to know anything else, I'm pretty worthless. <laughs> no problem. That, that is what we want to talk about today. And I think even just the name self-directed IRA is often confusing to people, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in our world, a self-directed IRA could just mean an IRA you have at a brokerage house at you know whatever broker that you're going to manage yourself, but that's really not what we're talking about. Can you take us through your version of what a self-directed IRA means? Yeah. So what we mean by a self-directed IRA is an account that can be invested in any asset allowed by law. So like when retirement accounts were first created, you could buy whatever you wanted. You know, people were buying collectible cars, they were buying art, obviously publicly traded assets like stocks and mutual funds, um, ETFs come, come along later. But, you know, you could buy anything, small business, startup, real estate, that was all on the table. And there's only been one change since retirement accounts have been around for 40 years. The only change was you can't buy collectibles. You know, because people were buying the collectible car and driving it on the weekends and they were buying the wine collection that turned into a bottle collection, you know, and there's just like some abuse, let's be honest, you know, and these are like, are these really investment assets? And so, so there's been a restriction on collectibles, certain collectibles, and that's it. So really to us, a self-directed IRA is any asset you can invest in by law. And that opens up a huge world and, and we're in this, uh, investing universe right now where yields are incredibly low. Yeah. Lots of stocks around the world are now more correlated uh, in many ways than they ever have been. And I think people are looking for something that is non-correlated or or at least, you know, differently correlated. And and I think your solutions are really helping people find some of that, correct? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, first of all, self-directing is not for everybody, like how we do it, you know. Some people are like, well, I Matt, I'm like 
I don't even know what to buy, you know? And so, and maybe I have an advisor, someone that can help me find opportunities, but our message is really just like, well, if you know an asset that you love, don't just think it's off the table because IRAs don't traditionally buy it or retirement accounts in general. Like, no, your retirement account can own a privately traded REIT. You know, we have, it can own a hedge fund. It can own a private equity fund, you know, and, you know, these private assets are, have some, have had some of the highest returns out there. And a lot of people have just written them off in their IRA or other retirement account thinking, well, retirement accounts just can't own that. That's not true. You know, it's, it's so if those are assets that are of interest to you or you as a professional, as an advisor, those are things you can actually accomplish in an IRA. You're not going to do it at, you know, Fidelity necessarily or Charles Schwab, unless you have an ultra high net worth relationship there. But there's companies like ours, Directed IRA, who let our IRA accounts invest in those types of assets. Part of why I feel this is so significant is most people have a significant amount of their wealth tied up in IRAs. So when they see investment opportunities come up, they might think, well, I don't have however much money available in cash to just go and do this and might dismiss something that would otherwise be very exciting to them. And this brings that back onto the table uh, and and could be very attractive. Yeah, I think... Um there's, I mean, there's $35 trillion in retirement accounts in the US, right? I mean, that number is amazing. That There is no more money anywhere in any type set of funds or place. That's There's not anything close. It's in US retirement accounts. Now it's every little individual with their own little sliver of that, $35 trillion, but um, that's a ton of money. So, but like, you know, just here at Directed IRA, I mean, th- th- I'm just like pointing out here as we're on video. <laughs> I know this is audio, but <laughs> yeah, uh, just picture me pointing over to the left. Um, you know, that's our investment transaction team over there. And, you know, like, it's like I have a dentist that just, I just we just did a private placement investing in a, in a mouthwash type startup. You know, it, I have real estate clients doing real estate in their IRA all the time. That's just what they know and they feel more comfortable with. Um, we see clients investing in in hedge funds and stuff that that they've never thought their IRA could invest in, but they've been invested in it previously for five, 10 years, and it's performed way better than any other assets. So like, why don't I get my IRA over into some of that too? And so this is stuff IRAs can do. You got to be careful, right? There, you can make some bad investments. And in some things, there's, there's a little more risk like crypto. I mean, we have you can buy crypto in your IRA with us too, you know, and so, some people want some exposure to crypto. Obviously, you got to be careful on that. But um, so I think for people that want to take the time to learn about it, take a measured risk at it, um, I think it can be a, just a good opportunity and something to consider in your total investment you know, opportunity. So one of the things that uh, I was interested to learn looking at a self-directed IRA structure is that if you go to do a real estate transaction, for example, you can still borrow essentially against the collateral. Uh, which, which is unique because you can't necessarily use margin in a brokerage IRA account. Yeah, They're not going to let you borrow against it in that format. But for something like a real estate transaction, you can still use leverage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when you use leverage in an IRA, let's say you just want to buy a duplex down the street. You know, <laughs> like, you're like I'm just going to buy this duplex down the street, which you can do with an IRA. You could buy it out route with cash if you had all the cash. You could even partner in an LLC with some other people to pull off the deal. Or you could say, you know what, you know, the, the, the duplex is 300 grand. I'm going to put a hundred thousand down for my IRA's cash and I'll get a loan for the other 200,000. Now there's two things people need to know when they do that. 
first, the loan has to be what's called a non-recourse loan. What that means is the bank is when they loan the money on the property, they're going to say, if the IRA defaults or the IRA owned LLC, a lot of people use an LLC in this structure, but if there's a default, the only recourse the lender has is to foreclose and take the property back. They can't come after the IRA for any of its other assets. They can't come after the IRA owner. And the IRA owner cannot guarantee the debt. And so that's called a non-recourse loan. There's probably 10 banks out there that offer a specialty product for IRAs or other retirement accounts that want to buy rental real estate. So you want to work with one of those types of banks. So that's the first rule if you want to get debt. It's got to be non-recourse. The second rule for IRAs is they can't, they do get subjected to tax on profits from the debt. So take that example, IRA bought a $300,000 property, but it put down 100000 of cash. So two-thirds of that deal is debt, right? Well, the IRS looks at that debt and says, we're not going to treat that as retirement plan dollars. That wasn't money you contributed or saved or grew in your retirement account. This is non-retirement account dollars. So we're going to charge tax on the profits of those non-retirement account dollars, which is the debt in the deal. So your IRA ends up having to pay a little tax on the debt. Now, for rental real estate, you can take depreciation to offset it. And a lot of times clients never have to worry about it. But it's just those are just kind of the two things you need to know. And that tax, by the way, it's called UDFI. I know on the time, <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it better than that. But I have like a whole podcast episode, a whole chapter in my book on it. Um, it, it is an important thing if someone's going to get debt on real estate. So I think a large group of people weren't aware that you could do that kind of investing in an IRA to begin with. Yeah, I was weird and read an IRA book when I was in high school and knew all about real estate investing in IRAs. <laughs> but my uncle feeds me books to read all the time, and they're always very interesting. Good for him, you know. Good for him. <laughs> but I think what was difficult for me was turning that knowledge into actual practice because once you start figuring out what am I supposed to actually do, it gets more challenging because they're a subset of the brokers that are actually equipped to do this. And there's that complexity as in dealing with special tax laws you need to be aware of. What would you say to someone who hears all this and says, I'm intrigued as far as how they get started and what kind of team they need to build around them to do it right? It's a great question. I always tell people like self-directing your IRA is like learning a new board game. You just can't open it up and start throwing pieces around and trying to play it. You got to play it with someone who's done it before. (laughs) Okay. Or you need to read the dang rule book. And maybe actually do both. Uh, it's not that it's hard. It's not that it's like rocket science or it's complicated. It's just different. And so you need to learn the rules and hopefully play with someone that knows how to tell you, oh, you can't, you know, move your piece that way. You actually have to do this, you know. And so, um, but once you learn it, it's the same thing over and over. And and most people who do self-directed IRAs, I mean, we have some clients that buy real estate in their IRA. They're invested in a private fund. They're invested in a startup. They're, they've bought crypto. I mean, I have some clients that have like done everything. They own precious metals. Um, but most clients just kind of do the same thing over. They do crypto and then they do more crypto. They do real estate and they do real estate. They buy startups and they buy more startups. And so they just kind of stay in their lane of what they like and know. Um, and so that's a lot more easier to accomplish is just kind of figure out what you know, what you like and are interested in. And once you learn it, it's just the same thing over and over again. So we've had a fairly prominent example of a private investment in an IRA, specifically a Roth IRA. And this is a Peter Thiel story uh, who now has basically $5 billion tax-free dollars as a result of making his investment in PayPal when it was still private 
in a Roth IRA, which must have been to look at the timing, like right after the Roth was introduced. But yeah, um, that also seems to have spurred at least a conversation and maybe some legislation. So what's going on in this space right now that that's being talked about? Yeah. So good question. So what Peter Thiel did just, you know, he does have this $5 billion Roth IRA. You know, he was a co-founder in PayPal himself and he, he uses Roth IRA to buy some early original shares in PayPal as one of the co-founders when they were, you know, nobody believed PayPal would be worth a penny, you know? So he bought it for dimes, you know, <laughs> he bought it really cheap. And then, um, PayPal went big. He made a lot of money. His Roth IRA had some money, of course. And then he was the first outside investor in Facebook. So the first money that Facebook took besides one of the co-founders, Eduardo Savron's family's money, that kind of was this initial cash was Peter Thiel's Roth IRA. You know, it put in about 500 million that turned into, you know, multi-billion dollar investment. Um, but he invested in one of the most successful companies of our lifetime at the very first person to got to put money in it. And he did it with the Roth IRA that's coming all, all tax-free. And so a lot of people are turned on to the self-directed IRA for different reasons. There's different advantages to it. One, it's some people just get as diversification. Like I just want to get another diversified asset. Some people are like, I can get a higher return in certain assets than I can in the stock market. Other people are just more tax savvy people like a Peter Thiel and think, you know what? I can invest in Facebook with my regular cash and pay tax on it. Or I could do it with a Roth IRA and pay no tax on the way out. If I'm smart about it and I think this thing's going to be a home run, I want to use my Roth IRA. And I have real estate clients like that, that, you know, do 20 real estate deals a year and the best ones they'll drop into their Roth IRA because it's a tax-free deal on the way out. And so he hit this amazing return, has this 5 billion Roth IRA, it gets reported. And of course the government's all concerned about it because he's not going to pay any tax on it. And there's a lot of outrage on Capitol Hill. And so as part of the current pending 3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, that hasn't passed the House or Senate, but is, you know, it's been part, if you've been listening to the news, this is, there's one little piece on this on IRAs. They try to make some restrictions on it to cap IRAs at 10 million and retirement accounts in general, because they don't want another 5 billion Peter Thiel also to try to put some restrictions on, on certain private assets and structures. So, um, so there's things in there we're kind of looking at as an industry trying to fight right now, but it all stemmed from someone being insanely successful with their self-directed retirement account. <laughs> and not only that, it's that was leaked information. Right, yeah. So I have to believe that if that information wasn't leaked, we might not even be talking about this today, but because everyone heard about it and that's a lot of money, they feel compelled to respond uh, just because it's it's public knowledge now. Yeah, and Mitt Romney got into this too when, when he ran for president, if you can remember that, it's not that long ago, but... <laughs> You know, he had about a hundred million dollar IRA, all self-directed too. He was just investing in startups and turnaround companies, which is what he did as a career, and just invested in a bunch of winners like Sealy Mattress when no one heard of it, Staples when it was one store. And so there was a that's where this first started. And then it just lost wind. And people were like, do we really care about people's IRAs? And Mitt, Mitt Romney lost anyway. So then I was like, ah. But now the five billion Peter Thiel, big Trump supporter, spoke at the RNC. You know, it, he's kind of become a target for this, unfortunately. And so now it's all in politics. 
Well, and, and, and it seems like one of these things where because this one story is grabbing headlines that now we as an industry are going to deal with more regulation yeah. and more more oversight when really the reality is that we should just be encouraging people to invest in IRAs, whether that's in a self-directed or in the stock market, right? The more we can get people investing, the better. And you're going to have this one story derail and make it more complex and more difficult potentially for people just to do that. Yeah. And I, I speak to a congressional office probably every other day right now. Um, that's where I was on right before I got on the podcast, someone on the Ways and Means Committee in the House. And it's like most people are just trying to get a retirement account to a million. You know, maybe a, a married couple with some, especially that depends, got to take, they're going to need a couple million actually. And government's already told us social security is not going to cut it at all. And so how we should be talking about how can more people have a large retirement account balance? Not how do we restrict people from having a, a super big one? I just like, what's missing here? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not a zero sum game, which is why I, I think it's so funny when people are upset about things like the Peter Thiel story. It's like, well, that would be you if if you could do it. Like, you should be happy for him, and you should learn from it and try to try to take lessons away and and copy them. Be a copycat. Well, and, and as we think about asset location, which Dan and I talk about with clients quite a bit, we de- we generally do want highest growth assets, right? Whatever your highest growth opportunity is, that's what you should probably be putting your Roth IRA into because it's going to enjoy hopefully the longest amount of appreciation and the longest amount of of tax free growth. So. Um, what he did was smart. I think we should be taking some lessons from that, not necessarily vilifying it, even if it is a huge amount of money and we might be frustrated that he's not going to pay any taxes on it. Yeah. But, you know, for every like deal like that, there's a lot of like really successful ones I see. Like one of the big ones that spurred me to like write the book in my industry is I had a real estate client. Um, he was a real estate developer, pretty successful. And he had, he wanted to buy some land with his Roth IRA and he's like, but I'm not going to buy it outright. I just want to buy an option on the land. So his Roth IRA paid about 10 grand to get an option on this land that was next to a highway. It was just agricultural property, but he knew the city and County and the state were looking to putting in a freeway exit there within the next, you know, it was on like their roadmap. And he knew that that agricultural property in the future could turn into like highway commercial. So he tied it up in his Roth IRA for a purchase price of about 400 grand. And he spent 10,000 bucks from his Roth IRA just to get the option. He didn't buy it. He just had an option to buy within like the next five to seven years. Well, then they put in the freeway exit, the county and state. It turns into highway commercial. There's service stations, a subway, you know, all the typical stuff off the side of the road, at least where I live. And um, this property is worth one and a half million. And so he just sold the option to another developer that wanted to develop it out for over a million bucks. And he put 10,000 in from his Roth IRA. And this took a few years to transpire. But I remember when he was doing that deal, I was like, this is pretty cool. And then when it closed, I was like, hmm, I mean, this guy put in 10 grand. He would have done the deal anyways with his personal funds, but he did it in his Roth IRA. It's totally tax-free. And there's a lot of people like that that see that opportunity and have that opportunity. I don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I buy boring stuff, but like, you know, that, but there's people that see that opportunity and have it that can be strategic about it and use a Roth IRA. And maybe, you know, a couple of times in your lifetime, you'll get those opportunities where you can do that. You know, this guy gets it every year, but, um, you know, I think it's just something for someone who wants to be a little financially savvy about how they invest, just knowing those retirement plan dollars you have over there, it could be used in some of this stuff. And, and knowing that it's not cut off, just use a self-directed IRA to execute it. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what's most helpful for our for our audience and why we asked you to be on the show is just to educate people that this is something that's out there and, and something that might be available. Um, for those that do want to learn more, Matt's got a podcast called the Directed IRA Podcast. You can find him on the web at directedira.com. Matt, we really appreciate you joining the show today to, to share a few of your thoughts with us and uh, kind of what all is out there. My pleasure. Thanks for Austin Down. I appreciate having me on. One more big thank you to Matt Sorensen for joining us on today's show. His book is called The Self-Directed IRA Handbook. His podcast is called The Directed IRA Podcast. And shoot us an email. Check your balances at outlook.com to submit your questions for our show. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.